A lot of media, sermons, uh, attachment, PowerPoints to the sermons so you guys can kind of follow along. So this morning, how are you guys feeling? Is it a four? You still at a four? You still at a four? Some of you at a five? I was at a four. After the song, I was at a five. I get fired up when they sing. I get fired up. This morning, we want to talk about, if you look in your brochures, open your brochures up. I want, I want you guys to get in the habit of looking at the brochure. There's a section there on the right-hand side that says, the sermon title is Moving God. Now, behind that's the calendar. So as, 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 as you come here, make sure you pay attention to the calendar because next week we're not going to be here. And I don't want you to be the only Christian feeling like you're here by yourself. We're going to be at the beach. We have a nice time at Oxnard State Beach. Have you ever thought when you prayed... Have you ever thought when you lived your life, how can you move God? How do I move God's heart? We're going to talk about that today. How to move God. You know, I'm not saying literally push God. I'm saying move God emotionally. Amaze God. Astonish God. Do you know that God can get astonished and amazed? He can, he can be amazed. Do you know that in, in uh, Zephaniah 3, verse 17, that God sings about you and just because he's excited about you, about making you, he's excited. So we're going to talk about moving God. So how do we do that? What's the first thing we've got to know about moving God? Let's go. It's a secret, but I'm going to tell you. I will tell you, Mike. You will find out. Moving God. You move God by your faith. Sounds pretty simple, but I'm going to show you practically how you do it. You move God by your faith. You move him. He can be moved by you. You know, he always asks this question, where is your faith? He asked his 12 apostles, the men who were discharged to change the world and bring the message, he always seemed to go back to this question is, where's your faith? These are the guys that saw Jesus, saw the miracles, saw the basket, saw McDonald's being handed out by fish and bread. These guys saw every miracle, and he still had to ask them, where's your faith? You know, when Jesus was asleep on the boat, they thought they were all going to die. Jesus had to wake up, he calms the storm, he goes, where's your faith? I'm, the mis- I'm God. I can't die on earth like that. I'm supposed to die on the cross. Where's your faith? He looks for our faith. You know, one of the questions he asks in the gospel is, will the Son of Man come back and find faith on earth? Not a, I go to church on Sunday faith. That's not faith. Don't be fooled by religiosity. You go to church on Sundays. Good. Even the demons do that. We're talking a faith that transforms your life and your life reflects the priorities of God is first. Everything else is second. Will the Son of Man find faith on earth? Obstacles. What are some challenges to our faith of us being faithful? Matthew 14. Here's an obstacle. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand. This is Peter when he saw Jesus walking on water. He, Peter walks out there and he starts walking on water. He's like, this is so amazing. And then he sees a storm coming and then he 
doubts. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt that if you put me first, I will not radically change your life? Why do you doubt? You know, we doubt God a lot, don't we? Is God really going to transform me? Is God really going to take care of my physical needs? Doubt is an obstacle to faith. Let's be real, Jill. Money moves the world. Now, the Bible says that all wealth comes from God. All success comes from God. Nobody else. In our economy today, there's a lot of doubt. Where is God in my life? You know, in the Bible, they, they, they call it economic bad times. They call them famines. There was no food. Imagine living in a famine. That, that they had the same challenges back then as we do today. In fact, their challenges were a lot worse. All the McDonald's closed. It was all gone. There was nothing to do and nothing to make. Obstacles for our faith is doubt. What's another obstacle? In Mark chapter 4, verse 40, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? This is when he was on the boat. Why are you guys so scared? You know, when you get scared, we hit the chicken switch, don't we? I do it. I I hit it too. We get scared to share our faith. We get scared to stand up for convictions. We get scared scared to say, hey, that is just wrong. I will not do that. It's wrong. We get scared. We get scared to flex our convictions in front of coworkers, people that seem to respect us. We get scared. We're afraid. We're embarrassed. It's an obstacle to faith. You cannot move God when you're scared and when you doubt. It's impossible to move God. In, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, It is impossible to, to please God without faith. You can't, you can't show God by doing all these things and running around here and doing that and doing that and saying, Look, God, no, 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 no. You've got to move him with your faith. Don't be afraid. It's an obstacle, it's a reality. Teenagers, face the book. Face the Bible. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and update your status and despise the other. This is something that will take you away from the Lord if you are not wise. Facebook is addicting. You got Farmville, you got Vampire Games, you got a roller coaster game. At one point in time, I was addicted to Farmville. I saw Chris Kanak had more points than me, and I said, I'm going to get my farmer as big as Chris's. And the more I tried, the more he got. I said, you know, I think Chris and I are both addicted. And we never had a conversation, but it was addicting. Well, the first thing I did on my computer was check, my, check what's going on around the around my friends versus open my Bible and pray. Mm, That's addicting. You're competing for your time with God. Social media, MySpace, 
Twitter, all that. YouTube, checking out funny videos in the morning because you need a little pick-me-up laugh. <laughs> you know, I was watching this video, this two little brothers, and, and it's called Charlie Bit Me. And you get his finger. It's like, you know, it's got like 20 million hits. Charlie bit me. And I just, I, I, I must have watched it like 10 times just to get a chuckle. Called my kids in. Check this out, guys. It could be addicting. You can't serve two masters. You can't do it. You can't do it. To the cross or this. Can't serve two. They'll always compete for your soul. Obstacles to faith. Obstacles. Either you'll hate one or despise the one. There's a war out there, guys. What happens? What's the result when you have have a competing obstacle to your faith? Whether you're afraid, whether you doubt, whether you're addicted to Facebook, you're, you're, you're insecure about your financial future. Jesus says this, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. That means you're, you're ah, I, I don't have a, I'm in between. I'm, there's just too much competition. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What does that look like? What's it look like? Does it look, look, look something like this? That's the result. You're neither hot nor cold. That's a loogie right there. It's disgusting, isn't it? Isn't that gross? Isn't that disgusting? I found it disgusting. I thought it was Kurt Warner at first. But it wasn't. But that is the result. That's the result of a lukewarm person who's trying to serve two masters. That's the result of your faith. Now, Jesus asked this question, why are you so afraid? Why do you doubt? Why do you doubt me? So how do we move God? Well, there's two accounts in the Bible. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, verse 1. We're going to look at this together. Luke 7, verse 1. It's the story of a centurion, a Roman. There he is. Can you go back one slide, please? A centurion. A centurion. Verse 1, it says, when Jesus had finished saying all this, you know, and all this meant he was saying uh, how, to, how to be a wise builder. If you build your house on the rock or you build your house on the sand. If you build your house on the rock, it's the one who obeys Jesus' words. If you build your house on the sand, you obey your own words and philosophies. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of people, he entered Capernaum. There is centurion's servant. Now, centurion is a Roman soldier who leads about 100 Roman soldiers, and they usually have servants with them. Whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, these are the, the, the Jewish elders, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. So imagine this picture. Here's Jesus, and he gets these Jewish elders that come to him and says, Hey, 
you got to help out this Roman centurion. Number one, that is quite bizarre. Because the Jews hated the Romans. Because they would tax you to death. And they said that there is no God. You guys are crazy. The Roman gods are God. So there was always an animosity there. But this centurion did great noble things for the Jews. He, he built their, their synagogues for them. He helped them. So his servant got sick. And so let's pick up the story. So Jesus goes to them. He went not, he went not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to, to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Now what's interesting there, how, how, I don't know if they sent a runner or if they had Facebook back then, he updated the status, Jesus is coming. But for some reason, the centurion knew that Jesus was called to come over there, and then he tries to put a stop to it. He says, hey, wait a minute, I don't need you to come. Why? I don't deserve to have you under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. So he's asking Jesus, just just say it. Just say the word. Why would he express himself this way? Just say the word, Jesus. Just say it, and it'll be good. Verse 8, he explains why. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, astonished at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. He's saying Israel because this guy is not a Jew. He is not a, he's a Gentile. The Jews would call the Gentile dogs. And Jesus saying to the Jewish crowd, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Wow. The Greek word there is astonished. Jesus was moved, astonished. And then he tells the Jewish guys, this man has, he never said that about Peter. He never said that about James or John. He never said that about any of his disciples. But there's this Gentile over here. He goes, greatest faith I've ever seen. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Look at that centurion. He's bad, huh? Oh, yeah, he's bad. Open a can of whoop. <laughs> These guys were tough. They commanded respect. To lead a, a, a company of 100 soldiers, you have to be chiseled and hard and determined. You have to be worthy of that honor. And you had to be smart. They didn't like just buffoons. Someone who you just easily kill. He was loved by the Jewish elders. He realized that Jesus was this Messiah. He understood Jesus being God. And he understood that obedience brings life. I have soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes. This one, come and he comes. This one, do this and do this. He understood it. 
what it means to obey. He goes, Jesus, just say the word. Just say the word. And Jesus tells you that every morning. Is that your heart? Jesus, just say the word. Is that you in the morning? Or you're like, I'm bored with the word. Read that four times already as a Christian. Oh, yeah, I know the ending. Makes you a bored again Christian. This is the word. Say it. What amazes God is that you obey it. God says, put me first and you obey it. (gasps) What doesn't impress Jesus is being religious. It's a great sermon. Appreciate Golf clap. That doesn't impress Jesus. It's your obedience. You giving super 15 super hugs in church going, this is an awesome service. This is an, I'm, I'm going to hug you too. It doesn't impress Jesus. It's your obedience to his word that impresses him. This was a pagan. He was a good guy, helped, helped the people, but he had the greatest faith. Jesus says that twice in the Bible. You have great faith. And none of them were about his followers. They were about the other people, the dogs. Interesting, huh? You want to move God? Just say the word, Jesus. Just say the word, and I'll do it. You'll obey. Great faith. That's your first step. You want great faith? Just obey the word. How do you else you move God? Look at Jeremiah 7. This is God's people back in, uh, in Jerusalem. This is Jeremiah the prophet. He says this. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the angels... The God of Israel says, take your burnt offerings and your other sacrifices and eat them yourself. Wow. I thought God wanted sacrifices and burnt offerings. He goes, you eat them. When I led your ancestors out of Egypt, it was not burnt offerings and sacrifice I wanted from them. This is what I told them. Obey me and I will be your God. And you will be my people. Do everything as I say, and all will be well. God doesn't want you running around and trying to prove. He just wants you to obey. It's so simple, we miss it, huh? It's amazing that Christ's followers never had the great faith, but all these pagans did. How else can we move God? Look in your Bibles now and Matthew chapter 15. There's another time that Jesus says the same thing about a great faith, but he says it about a woman. Come on, sisters. A woman. A man and a woman. Look at verse 21, Matthew 15, verse 21. Now, this woman was a Canaanite. These were the people that lived in the area where God's people said, go to the promised land. That's where the people that her ancestors were booted out by all Joshua and all those people. She was an old Canaanite, which had a lot of multiple gods. And this is the account. Verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. 
Sounds like it's a pretty serious scenario right there, huh? You know, it's funny how she called and appealed to Jesus calling him the son of David. That's a little, hey, I, I know you're the Messiah. She's dropping a little, a little line there. Hey, son of David, son of David. She didn't say, hey, hey, mister, hey, sorcerer, hey, guy who does crazy magic. Son of David. Jesus did not answer a word. He completely ignores her. Completely ignores her. Sisters, take note, because that happens in your household with your husbands. Husbands tend to ignore their wives. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. Very sensitive, brothers. She keeps crying out after us. Very loving. Get her out of here, Jesus. These are the apostles' teachings that we follow. They, now, they weren't always perfect guys, but you know, that's where they were at. Get her out of here. And then Jesus replies and says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, I didn't come for Gentiles, which is biblically accurate. Jesus came to the Jews because he was the promised Messiah. And then, and then the doors were opened to the Gentiles a little bit later. The woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. She said, he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Jesus. What a statement. How do you respond when you're challenged? Because Jesus is challenging her. He's saying, hey, it's not your time right now. I came for these people. It's not your time. Now, Masters and children of the dog was not a total insult in the ancient culture. That's how, kind of how they had a- analogies. You know, in modern day, we're like, oh, that's terrible, Jesus. But in his time, it was like, hey, no, no, no. I understand your plea. I cannot help you. I came for these people, not for you right now. How do you respond when you're challenged? Let's look at her response, because she was challenged. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Wow. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Wow. Wow. Great faith. Jesus completely wants to ignore this woman. It is not. I cannot deviate from my plan. My plan is this. My plan is to go to the Jews. My plan is to help them. I cannot help you right now. And then he does. Why did Jesus change his plans? Why did he change his plans? This is a Canaanite woman. She said, hey, you're the son of David. I know this. She was persistent. She didn't take no for an answer. You want to move God? Don't take no for an answer. You know, Jesus even talks about that persistent widow. All right, all right, because you keep bothering me, fine. I'll answer your prayer. Persistence. We don't get afraid and discouraged and doubt. We say, no, God, I'm going to stand right here until you answer me. That's the relationship with God. I had that prayer a few weeks ago. I will stand right here until you move. Me and talk. Me and God have that kind of conversations. 
I tell God, I am so angry at you because of... I tell God that. Now, if I tell Alfred that, it'll freak him out. God can handle my heart. It doesn't spook God or show you, he's mad at me. No. God's all fine. Now we're talking. Good. Now we're getting to the real issues here, Gio. Because I doubt. When I doubt, I get scared. When I get scared, I get angry. Hmm, interesting. She was not a priority, but she wanted to be included. Bless me! Bless me! Nope! I will not give to the dogs, but even the dogs eat from the master's table, sir. Humble, persistent. <sighs> what a situation there. She moved Jesus to change his plan. These were only few Gentiles he ever interacted with and saved for their faith. Because one, understood obedience better than his followers. And number two, this one understood, hey, be persistent. Don't give up on your prayers. Don't stop praying. You want your parents to become Christians? Don't stop praying for them. You want your boyfriend to be more spiritual? Don't stop praying for him. You want your sister to be... You want, your, you want your spouse's heart to stop, uh, soften and be humble? Don't stop praying for him. Don't stop. You, each one of us should have a crazy dream, a crazy prayer dream. Like, it's impossible. Pray that dream. Pray every day. Be persistent. She was rewarded for her response. Amazing. We can astonish Jesus by two things. Our obedience and our persistence. You know, sometimes I tell God, I say, God, I know I'm not doing well, but I'm like a wart. You're not going to get rid of me. I'm ugly sometimes. I'm hard, but I ain't going anywhere. That's my attitude when I have to pray. Because a lot of times God does not answer my prayers immediately. It takes years, decades. Long time. How persistent are you? Great faith. Move God. That's the goal. Leave here today with the intentions of moving God. We all need to aspire to move God's heart, and we can do it in two practical ways. Obey his word. Just say the word. And number two, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever stop. You know, one of, one of my mentors told me, just Gio, if you can figure out how to take your physical desires, you know, your sports, your, comp your compete, you, you know what it is to work hard. If you can translate into that spiritually, you'll do great things for God. And it took me a while to figure that out, what it meant to do, take them from the physical to take it to the spiritual. And after 15, 16 years of being a Christian, I'm still working on it. I'm still trying to sort that out. Obey his word. And be persistent. Here's some scriptures about our obedience in the Bible. These are amazing passages I want to share with you as we close out our lesson. It's in Psalm 119, one of the longest psalms of the Bible, but it has so many rich insights, and I'm going to read them to you here. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. 
I will always obey your law forever and ever. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. I hurried and did not wait to obey your commands. Before I suffered, I did wrong, but now I obey your word. In your great love, revive me so I can alertly obey your every word. I've become wiser than the wise old sages simply by doing what you tell me. I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. Your laws are wonderful. No wonder I obey them. I pray with all my heart. Answer me, Lord. I will obey your decrees. I will cry out to you. Rescue me that I may obey your laws. I have obeyed your laws, for I love them very much. And lastly, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you. Have a great Sunday afternoon.